Hello and welcome to the DMs Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. So I thought about this. If our podcast was a Eurovision song or contrast entry, I think it would be like Iceland. Completely underrated, but definitely gets the popular vote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also, you know, I think just lots of lights, lots of special effects and everything like that. Talking of special effects and lights, <laughs> someone else who's also with me. <laughs> <laughs> also a special effect in my life there we go seamless is there right there you, there you go that was my attempt at something were... improv <laughs> i like what? it i like it i, I think I'm assuming you were just referring to the fact that we were covid stricken and remotely like zoomed in or something whether the ones that had to they, they couldn't turn up oh yeah that's true I, oh yeah they're the icing ones aren't they yeah, oh, yeah. so sad but Rob, anyway yes. how, how are you i'm good i'm really good thank you how are you doing i'm good well we are actually i just remembered we're celebrating it's been a year since we started this podcast. Has it actually? Yeah. Wow. It, by the time this episode comes out, it will have been a year. So. That is absolutely nuts. And I feel like I need that year back. Oh, what? <laughs> no, you have to invoice me for it. Oh, man. That's insane. Do you know how many episodes we put out now? Must well, be... Presumably 52. There's been one out wow. every week of some description, whether it's been one with you and me, uh, a special guest, or even our um, uh, the special D&D one we did. Brawl room. Really That's cool. very true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you've done far more of that year than I have. I get to sort of, you know, jump in and out with some special guests, which is essentially just Ryan therapy time rather than being a feature. But no, you've done fantastically. Oh my God, I can't believe it's been a year. That's yeah. absolutely nuts. And also something we started in lockdown. I Actually, I do remember it would have been a year because obviously for your last birthday, we did the whole pretense of like, hey, let's do a recording. And then everyone else turned up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I do remember, actually. I was all ready to, to read my chapter and no, it was just people like, on a oh. Zoom call. And you're like, great, great, but I've got a recording. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> oh, that was it. I remember that. I was so confused. <laughs> we were all there going, oh, it's not happening. <laughs> I know, it's like the Zoom equivalent of a surprise party. Like, I've never actually had that physical thing where I walk into a room and people are sort of there shouting mm. at you. But it was very similar, just sort of popping up and my screen had a lot of pictures on it at once. It was yeah. it was just very weird. But also you had your birthday this week as well. You finally made it into the old woman club. So welcome. <laughs> Indeed. I've moved up a COVID vaccine ranking, which is good. 30. Wow. Actually, you know what? It feels all right. I, I'm, I'm OK about this. I was half expecting myself to sort of uh, have one of it. What's the opposite of an epiphany? Like an absolute midlife crisis? Yeah, a, 30, a 30s crisis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but not not so much. I feel OK. I feel mature and wise and like <laughs> the younglings should listen to me. That's my, Younglings. my thought on this. <laughs> Speaking of younglings, yes. would you like to know about some D&D fee? Oh, yeah. Even though I'm definitely an oldling, go for it. <laughs> So this week, I am looking at a book that has been out for some time, but I only got recently through birthday-related wishes, mm -hmm. which is The Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Now, we've mm -hmm. dipped into this book once before, I believe, when we were mm -hmm. looking at some of the gods. I mean, Theros is a really, really cool place. If you don't know anything about the whole campaign setting um the book was released less with a with adventure in mind but more of the world yeah about everon being a super high-tech magitech sort of alternative reality theros is well the gods walk about which is a, a very different sort of way of looking at things mm -hmm. yeah definitely sort of the ancient greek and that idea that 
the lands are sort of unmapped in some way, but like you said, that you look up in the skies and the they are replaying the stories of the gods over and over. And if all the lights go out, you know, something bad has happened, which I just yeah. love that idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of those myths that you have in sort of Greek history and oh, they're all still happening. Like mm. we're about halfway through that and stuff could happen any day, which sort of just changes everything. But all these legends and stuff only happened really, really recently. Like these myths and stuff happened in the last five years. 10 years at most like yeah i just love that as a as a concept sort of thing it's really really awesome i I love i love the whole the book and the races kind of they play in with that sort of greek mythology now i'm I'm sort of throwing in greek as a sort of catch-all because to me it seems like that's the sort of gist they're going for here but i think there is all kinds of of different sort of mythologies and european um ideas sort of thrown into this sort of whole campaign setting which is which is really cool but the races I've actually brought in some ideas and sort of revisited ideas from a lot of the other places in D&D. And mm-hmm. some of them are really, really cool, actually. So we're going to go through pages 17 to, I believe, 27. Yeah. So feast your ears on this. What I love about this right at the beginning is that it does say that aside from humans, which it does talk briefly about, the races in the player's handbook are unknown on Theros. So these are almost like a like-for-like exchange which is great, actually. And I know I've talked about this before. It's like, for me, it's like, why would you play something so out there and so different? And obviously I'm still coming to terms with like my own assumptions about like what kind of person you'd play. I actually have no problem with any of these races <laughs> if we were playing a Theros campaign, because I think they fit the setting yeah. completely. So yeah, I, it was just really interesting when I looked at it, I said, oh, you wouldn't normally in a Theros campaign have elves or dwarves or anything like that. You would have these races instead and I was like oh yeah that makes complete sense which is just obviously compared to what I've said before it's such a a mind thing for me it's just like oh so yeah this is really really interesting I, I do like the fact that they've just actually replaced it a lot of the most recent and actually it's interesting to see whether they would have done that a year later because obviously Tasha's mm-hmm. came after this book and, and, and introduced a lot more flexibility and, and change into how you could sort of build these things but mm-hmm. the fact that it was just a replacement that the player's handbook races is really, really cool because it really gives a very strong flavor to the world. And yeah, we've got six to choose from. Humans being included in, we've got centaurs, Leonin, minotaurs, satyrs, and triton. Mm. So should we have a look? Absolutely. Let's dive in. Where do we want to start? I think humans, humans are, we know humans. I think we've got enough idea about how these guys work. We're uh, (laughs) in the world of mythos, humans exist in three separate uh, sort of city state empire things. Um, The world is quite vast. It's quite wild. And these sort of poly, the humanistic sort of centers are like little cultural hubs. But Mm. otherwise humans are pretty much as we would expect them to be very short lived they're intelligent, very adaptable, capable of forming long-lasting legacy sort of establishments. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that D&D really, really sort of pushes towards humans is that they, they like to form guilds, clubs, lines, like sort of heirs and thrones, effectively, things that pass on from generation to generation. Humans are really, really good at that. The idea being that Whereas you may have a very long lived race of three, four, 500 years that can learn a lots and lots of stuff. They tend to be very independent mm-hmm. because they've got the time to do whatever they need to do. The humans will gang together and have 10 generations all doing the same thing. And they may be as, as, as sort of mundane as forming tailors or even sort of small, you know, 
temples to the gods of Theros, which are very out there and very sort of visible, Mm -hmm. but they may also become adventurers or sort of dynasties of raiders or, or whatever it might be. And Theros is no exception to that. Humans are very, very easy to play because mm-hmm. you are a human. If you're very stuck as to what to do, go for one of them. You can do whatever you want with a human. They come in all flavors, all different types, all different classes, very adaptable. In Theros in general, it has a big thing about naming. Like I, I actually, and this has come sort of recently to me, is like obviously the naming of your character is so important because it embodies how you see your character and what it means and stuff. And here is no exception. In Theros, it talks about, certainly for humans, they tend to name their children to honour heroes or philosophers of old, like to give them that aspirational nudge from the parent to child so that you would live yep. up to your name, which I think it's is the great. It's the D&D equivalent of a helicopter parent, I feel. Like, <laughs> come on, come on, you're a philosopher. <laughs> and it just says surnames are uncommon. You just have honorifics or you have the place of birth if you're not sure. So the idea that your name could change throughout your campaign... Like, I would love it if it was like, I can't remember the example of these in the, in the books, I would just say like, Simon of Manchester is, is the yeah. character. And then you go on to do some deed and it's like, ah, Simon the Honourable or something like that. Yeah, cool. exactly. And before you know it, you're Fiona of improv and, you know. No. People... <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that surnames are just not a thing. It gives... It's much more sort of like, well, what are you doing with your life? Because mm. we're not gonna, we're not gonna throw this sort of clan name on you effectively. Mm. It's uh, it's really cool. No, I like that. Next up, we've got centaurs, centaurs, who are the first sort of, I like to say, new race that have been put into D and D. Now, I believe the centaurs were one of the few races that came through on After Arcana a little while ago. That was probably near, yeah, near the start of everything, mm. and people were quick to jump on them because they had some very interesting characteristics and centaurs generally have picked up some very intriguing properties as characters which could be both bad as well as good depending on how you play them but Mm -hmm. centaurs generally fall into two different categories of beast whilst they sort of go around in herds and form clans and are very nomadic in style that they don't have established civilizations they will travel around they will explore go from one place to another as as their sort of lives suit them there are two general characteristics of a centaur you have the lagona tribes and again this is uh, my pronunciation is going to just be all over the shop you pick this topic up me so i'm all happy to hear (laughs) that they are very much sort of trading merchantile clans that will move around and have specific places and and sort of arts and roles within the group such as negotiators and barterers and omeners and and courses who will explore and, and scout the land around them think of them more as sort of um your sort of Khajiit's band and Skyrim or sort of your traveling merchant wagon group. Mm. Um, They're not necessarily friendly, but they will travel from place to place, providing that sort of artery role, the caravan role of trade between major hubs of civilization in the land. Mm. So if you want a character who is, you know, has a bit of wilderness lust to them and likes to explore, that could be an option for you. Whereas the Ferez group are much more classical centaur from you know mythology as we probably all know it before they are essentially are raiders they are mercenaries pirates they can be any sort of raiding establishment effectively that go from effectively stealing resources grains foods whatever it is from civilization to being 
all out monster slayers. They can go good and bad in the way they are. But whereas the, the sort of Laguna tribes will, f- you know, really put the emphasis on wisdom mm. and age and, and sort of uh, inherited ability, Ferez is much more athletic and a hunter, skilled archers, warriors, that sort of toughness and endurance are the sort of things that will sort of push you as to elevated and within your group. So mm-hmm. you get a lot of talented warriors and heroes sort of popping up in Ferris. Two very different sort of slants on, on centaurs and, and how they act in the world effectively. Yeah. And the idea that, like you said, like the idea for the Lagana sort of centaurs, they are a family unit in a way, or even though they might be several different tribes and having those roles in it. But then they talk about this sort of journey of discovery where young centaurs would go off and discover themselves sort of go on their what i see as a gap year but it could anywhere between yep. a couple of years Absolutely. or a couple of weeks or years and come back to find your place in the world and the, the pharaohs don't have that per se that to me is the big distinction is that they go out they want to collaborate they want to do stuff whereas the pharaohs they have that sort of like there's like some agreement between i, I kind of skipped over it a little bit but it's like uh, something with the gods this agreement with the humans and they're just taking back what humans stole from them so any sort of raid perhaps is like well this is just like for like and that's how they sort of justify it not all of them justify it like that i will say but yeah this idea that they there's roles in every group as it were that your character could be so like in the lagona you obviously like you said you've got the courser which is like the expert tracker and the survivalist as a way uh you've got the barter the negotiator of deals and you've sort of mentioned the omener this oracle character who sees visions and the ways mm-hmm. that the central group should move forward on the other side you've got like you said the, the callers from the pharaohs you know the draw on animal assistance which again i love like if they were about to raid somewhere or go beat the big bad and there's in this townhouse something just calling on the wildlife around and using yeah. that would be right cool. And then they both have, and I'm going to pronounce these wrong, but they both have like one role in each group uh, as these the mighty trained warriors. You got the Coltra or Coltre. Uh, That's in, pretty good to me, yeah. <laughs> in the Lagana, and then the Trumpeters in the Theres, which I, I love that name. Like it's mm-hmm. just like, and it's that this, the idea that they are powerful warriors. But I feel that there is a distinction. So like the first one, the Coltras, they are some sort of, they are from the, the first legendary centaurs and they are they are said to bring good luck, but are fated to die in defense mm-hmm. of their family. So there's that sort of like very uh, sacrificial honor type thing going on Tragic. with them. Tragic, yeah, mm. yeah. Whereas on the other side, you've got the trumpeters, which are they're just cause of the most powerful and the most feared. And so it feels like they've gained their strength through training, through beating other people and getting to the top, maybe not as honorably. But again, that's just me reading in between the lines there there's a very sort of distinct difference between protection and defense Mm. with you know the initial sort of laguna heroes and very aggressive and skilled fighters on the thera side but it sort of works in the way that the clans work you know the laguna is is, as you say that family units which are kind of designed to help and protect each other Mm -hmm. you know they are a functioning family a disheveled and, and and random family but everybody's got a place in a wider unit whereas with Therese it's much more likely that you may have individuals that band together for the greater good effectively like if there's a a real threat or a defense they need to mount Mm -hmm. then they will pull together in varying numbers but then they may equally just split and go their own ways afterwards it's it's less collective strength and more just a sort of collection of individuals with a united strength that increases so Mm. definitely there's sort of that change 
And, and I guess actually thinking of the Ferrers as well, like they're probably smaller groups that come together to fight a bigger force, but there's no animosity, I guess, if they're dealt with the threat and then they split again. Whereas mm-hmm. I wonder with the Lagona, like obviously they talk about, well, they're coming together to discuss something and go ahead and help out. But I guess if you're joining forces, it may be harder to untie those bonds because you're there's definitely a bigger focus on collaborating and working together. Whereas I guess there's already that agreement with the Ferrers where you're just like, right, well, we're going to do this, but doesn't mean we're going to continue this. It's like a one-off sort of deal, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think there's, if you were sort of stumbling across either one in a sort of offensive capability, I very much think that one would be better to encounter than the other. The Theros group definitely seemed like they would steal everything from you because of the central way of like, well, you know, you owe it to us because mm. we maybe once upon a time taught the first humans to hunt. So yeah. Exactly. Now, I, I like I, I, the thing is with the sort of mythos, anything in the book, there are all of these like tales and, and stories that may or may not be true, but people believe them to varying degrees. And mm. I love I love all that stuff. It's it's very cool. But centaurs generally, you do choose to take one. Interesting stuff with them. Really, they are strength plus two, wisdom plus one. So very good for for fighters and druids and anything that sort of has anything that relies on strength and wisdom. Same age, neutral alignment, although they tend to be a little bit different depending on whether you're a lawful Laguna or a chaotic Theres. Centaurs are very big, uh, like very big. They are yes. six to seven feet tall and also have a horse on the back of them. <laughs> so, you know, it, there is a, a large amount of you to sort of think about. And that mm. comes with changes to how the character works as well. So, yeah. which is some interesting changes. 40 feet of base speed, which is very useful actually in, in most encounters. Even having five feet more than 30 feet means that you could eventually hunt down most things running away from you mm-hmm. or run away from most threats if needed. So, a very useful thing in in sort of most encounters i think you wouldn't necessarily think of that they count as fey rather yes. than humanoid and mm-hmm. they are one of the few that do which means a lot of spells you have to actually read the wording if it specifically targets humanoids it may not work on you if it mm-hmm. targets monsters it may work on you mm-hmm. so things like that you need to be careful of they can charge which is an interesting one and they have a hoof attacks so if they move 30 feet towards somebody and attack and you can bonus action hoof them, which is quite intriguing. Um, and they have an equine build, as you may expect, which means they can carry one size category more stuff if you are using encumbrance rules, mm. which actually does include actually putting another party member on the back of you. You would be able to carry them pretty easily. So mm. you can use yourself as a mount if you're that sort of centaur. Um, yeah, I would not like that if I was playing this guy. I was like, no, you don't get to ride. I, I am a person. No, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not a horse. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you do have hoofs for feet, which means that if you are trying to do anything that requires legs, it is especially difficult to do so. And you mm. take four feet of movement for every one feet, like for climbing a rope, for instance. Yeah. Which you could imagine would be like, you know, like hoof legs trying to grip around something like that. I mean, I, I would love to just see that happen. That would be wonderful. <laughs> I can't remember which Disney film it's in now, but where they have to tie up the horse and like drag it up and up on a bit of rope, and it's just there going, it can't do anything. So yeah. That's why. That's why I assume from that. But interestingly enough, and for all these characters, actually, as we'll go into it, this is the first time I've seen this. Even though I know it exists in the player's handbook, this idea of a size modifier, and so uh, you can work out. I mean, D and D just loves 
making you roll dice if you really want to, but working out your height and your weight in pounds and stuff. I mean, it's not mm. too much of a of a difference per se. Like you, you roll your d10 and then you add that in inches to six feet. I like the idea that you roll a short, fatter centaur mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than because I think it's trying to make it so that you are a, you know you're strong and you're sturdy. Like you know most most horses, you would maybe imagine it to be. Oh, wouldn't it be great just to have like a shorter pony just just for the hell of it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But the actual size of these things, I mean, they, the, what they weigh a lot. They start at six hundred pounds, yeah, which is about four times what most races are, if not more. So that would be something to think about in a campaign. You are you are effectively a horse with with arms, and you weigh as much as as a horse would would weigh. I have to say that a lot of the, I mean, this has always been the thing with centaurs, but I enjoy taking any of the artwork, and if you kind of draw a line just behind where the horse like just in front of where the horse starts they look like normal people yeah they do it's really tall in, in, don't they yeah exactly with, with sort of just like horse legs but they look like people and then there's just this extra bit behind Whoop. them <laughs> surprise <laughs> but let's say horse isn't your spirit animal no. you want to choose another spirit animal maybe a lion Yes, you. a thousand well, percent. <laughs> exactly. Well, can I just tell you that the Leonin is 100% for you? Yes. Um, <laughs> the thing I like about these lion people is that they immediately set out themselves to be not God haters, but not God deniers, but being independent of gods. Yeah. And I just, I know it's supposed to be fierce lion people, but the first impression I got was like a really sulky house cat. Yeah. Just, just really be like putting on a mood and not talking to people and just being grumpy about everything and just doing what it wants to do. Like that for me is absolutely just, what I can think of. Just appears around the corner and then it goes like, fuck off. And then yeah. <laughs> back around. Absolutely. absolutely. I'm better than you. I don't yeah. have to worship you. And then no. it sort of skulks off. Yeah, exactly. Lenin are huge lion or tiger people. I think they're, they're sort of more lion, but I mean, it's any sort of big cat really you could get away with. They are sort of plains dwellers, protectors, noble, fierce, hugely emphasis on on sort of physical might and prowess. Um, mm. And that sort of independence that comes with being a lion person kind of sticks to how they live their lives as well. They, they As I say, they don't deny the gods, no. or, but they necessarily don't worship them or fear them either. They consider themselves to be independent betrayed by previous actions of certain deities that kind of screwed them over in previous lives and they've kind of taken that independence from that you know fine Mm. i had to find for myself once upon a time so i take great pride in that now Mm. and that sort of characteristic really flows through everything that independence is a huge quick to quarrel aspect it describes itself as but that sort of trait where they will very quickly defend themselves they will squabble and fight because it's sort of almost exercise for them and it's it's part of who they are mm. but they've you know once they've done their thing they will very quickly forgive and and move on and mm. and just again it's not necessarily a long-term thing it's just they're very prideful um it, it is i mean everything is just like what would a tabby cat do in this situation like yeah yeah the idea they're quick to quarrel intolerant of criticism but aren't inclined to carry grudges and once it's done it's done so i can imagine the cat you come back home for a long trip say and it's like well where the fuck have you been how dare you you leave me i i just couldn't you know i was worried sick but actually fuck you i don't care and then yeah. about a couple of hours i had to go 
Can I come for a cuddle? Thanks. <laughs> it's like, I just accept it. You have fed me now. Order is restored. Yeah. And I, now we will just move on as if nothing great injustice, This great injustice has been done. I've drawn a line under it. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It sort of comes from self-reliance, really. There's no need to keep uh, a long-term quarrel about anything because the, the growth is the fight. It's the struggle of like proving yourself and really sort of pushing through that initial squabble there is no pride or, or, or sort of benefit to long-term hatred. So they just sort of forgive these things. And it, it's a tough life, you know, mm-hmm. going against gods. They don't need to stack the cards up by, you know, fighting amongst themselves too much. So they're really, really cool. As, as characters go, they do have um, sort of pride names effectively. So mm-hmm. sort of more clans, more more sort of groupings. But they are heavy in constitution. So plus two constitution, plus one strength. Mm-hmm. Very good for any sort of frontline or any character, really. Constitution is a fantastic stat. So absolutely, anything that gives plus two is is just wonderful. Yeah, um, <laughs> age is the same. They tend to go towards law for good. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be six to seven feet tall. So again, a lot of races in Theros are big, powerful sort yep. of races, and and this is no exception. They have thirty five feet of speed. Again, very useful that they've got more than thirty feet. Anything with more than 30 is incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. Dark vision, claws, which do slashing damage of 1d4. I think Tabaxi are the one of the other sort of races that have that as, as an idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, Centaur have hooves. A lot of mm-hmm. things have natural weapons in Theros. And, and again, this is just another instinct of that. But Hunter's instincts is interesting as well. What are following skills of uh, athletics, intimidation, perception, or survival? Mm-hmm. Get one of those. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. If your character wants perception, you don't need to pick a race that a class that actually gives that to you anything that gives perception is a is a very strong skill generally. yeah agreed it's, we've discussed it before it's like the most used skill it's certainly in our campaign but in general like can i see this or can I, it's either perception or insight or investigation yeah. the um the pii essentially absolutely absolutely and as a bonus action they can let out a daunting roar mm. which can effectively frighten people by you frightened is a very useful condition especially if you are a spellcaster um Mm -hmm. i I think we've said this before with other races you think warriors would benefit from this most but actually spellcasters would get a lot out of this as well because you roar make someone frightened of you disengage and move away and Mm -hmm. they can get no closer to you because they are frightened of you Mm -hmm. so useful sort of combo but um yeah very interesting actually what i like about the leonin is that Again, it talks about this, like you said, this independent, this uh, this lawful good, which if you read the stuff, if you actually listen to the episode on the Pantheon stuff, obviously all the gods are, I will say this straight off, is that Theros definitely relies quite heavily on the alignment stuff, which maybe now, obviously with Tash coming out, people are like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. But I think you definitely need to think about the good versus evil, certainly in this, sort of this campaign. What I think is really interesting is that for me, on the first reading of it, it's like, oh, they are chaotic. They don't agree with the gods. The gods are so ingrained in this world, in Theros, but they're not. They, you know, they uh, they are lawful. They they stick in pride. They follow the order, but they're just independent. And like you said, it's sort of that not snubbing the gods. They're just like, well, this happened to us. And we see them as these unworthy of our adoration, but we are mm-hmm. independent and stuff. And I thought that's, it's such a powerful position. And so they're not chaotic they they do stuff like they argue and they do it for the sake of enjoyment and like the exercise stuff but it's yeah it's just something i guess it's that sort of like a um, tentpole in this whole sort of like greek or, or high fantasy adventure 
the other thing, which we're not going to cover in this episode, I know, but there is the new background of the gladiator and this idea that, you know, athletic is strong and I, I am powerful and it's the enjoyment of the, of the strength and the game and, and the glory and the conquest and stuff. And I can easily see people playing like a Leonin gladiator type character where it's like, yeah. almost like a ha ha, that sort of like, yes, we're going to go through, we're going to do it because that is, that's what they hold dear to themselves, but as yeah. an independent spirit free from influence. Which is yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. You could see any of the combat classes really being sort of well suited to this fighters, paladins, rangers, mm-hmm. even rogues to an extent. Um mm. monks, yeah, anything that really sort of is sort of really up in your face and brave. And but also you can see them as white. I mean, yeah, as I say, you can play anything you want, but yeah. um I, there are some really cool pitches in this book, and I do like the the, the laying and some pitches. really cool ones, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they sit oh. really, really well. <laughs> Next up, um, yes. we go from real sort of, well, I said real creatures, but based on real creatures too, mm-hmm. uh, much more of a sort of mythical creature here, which is the Minotaur. Now, again, Minotaurs have been put in as unarmed arcana previously, mm. and these have now been tweaked and sort of put into a, a sort of workable race. But Minotaurs are... I think probably the tieflings of this sort of module. That's literally what came to my mind as well. <laughs> exactly. They are the bad people. Uh, but not necessarily bad people, the ones with the shady past. They, yes. uh, we, we did the sort of pantheon in a previous episode, as you know, and there is this idea that there is sort of the evil minotaur god Mogus Mogus. Um, Mogus. I don't know. We 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 struggled with the pronunciation back then. So yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and minotaurs were sort of debatably its creation or created in the image of. No one's entirely sure of the direction on that one, mm. but they were very much under Mogus's sort of evil, overarching view mm. until some broke away and have sort of fought back against it and are maybe still seen as bad in some places, but otherwise are seen as proud, independent and and very hardy creatures mm. that will romp around the world and are now their own sort of independent thing. They're really cool. I, I do like the pictures of, of the Minotaurs and the ideas of them, generally speaking, but they mm. are known as being, weirdly enough, like you expect anything based on a bull to be really angry and aggressive, but the overriding sort of aim here isn't that now they have their independence and their own sort of view on life. They're actually very, very slow to anger, um, mm. passionate, but brave, very protective, very, you know, once, once you've sort of got into their good books, they are fantastic friends, but they're mm. actually very slow to anger. Yes. Um, very tolerant, very wise. And when they do anger, very angry yeah. so there's this sort of flip switch effectively again i can't remember which character it is but there's a, a battlestar galactica uh, one of the spin-offs i think Atlantis. there is a character who is very slow and says very few words but once they're angered enough they will just rip apart anything i kind of can't remember what off the top of my head what it is but that's what the image yeah. comes to mind looking at this certainly on page 23 it's so regal the way it's sort of uh, it's created a sort of warrior type oh, it's like um protects the rainbow bridge in thor is it hemel uh, oh yes yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the gatekeeper yeah, just elba is his real name but uh yeah so that <laughs> that sort of look of just like always watching always patient but ready to strike uh, so that's yeah that's the feeling you get across about and yeah it's you're right it's like when you think of a bull even in folklore and stuff you're like oh they're gonna be angry they you know they see red they attack instantly but i like this sort of maybe reimagining it maybe we're not always like this this sort of a, like a quick 
uh, sorry, slow to anger, and yeah, passionately loving and laughing out loud and long at good jokes, which mm. I love that as this sort of almost like um, opposite to what you expect. You say something, you're like, oh God, and then they're like, <laughs> yeah, you're good. I like you. <laughs> it's almost that sort of like dwarven aspect, isn't it? Like yeah. party, loving people um, who again, I just have, they, they come from a bad place and they have sort of fought against it to an extent and now have a, a very sort of well-rounded look. Minotaurs make great characters, actually. They, they, they are very cool to imagine, very cool to sort of imagine them being heroes and, and, and pictures of them. As I say, the artwork in this book is gorgeous, but Minotaurs really do look quite awesome. And yeah, as characters, very easy to sort of pop in. Strength plus two, constitution plus one. So very similar, but the other way around to the Lenin. Mm -hmm. Suits anything with strength-based sort of combat, your barbarians, your warriors, your paladins, anything with a big, big, hefty weapon. They age normally. Alignment is pretty much lawful, I think is the best way to say that. Um, mm -hmm. Depends on on which way they go. They can also go chaotic if they leave civilization and sort of go their own way. But it's yeah. it's really your choice ultimately. They're fairly heavy, but not as tall as um, the sort of Lenin, about six feet in height, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Walking speed of thirty feet, and they have horns, which are an interesting thing, mm -hmm. which are one d six weapons rather than one d four. So yeah. very powerful. Mm. weapons these ones you can actually gore people with them as well if you dash with your action and move 20 feet you can bonus action gore so that is a very useful thing for moving around the map if you're a melee character and you need to be able to move quickly so you can dash and still do something in the mm. turn yeah it's a bonus action mm. exactly that attacks people you can also bonus action attack with your horns as a hammering horns attack if you attack normally with your action which pushes people back so again, good for combat races, but equally good for spellcasters because mm. you could push someone out of your threatened area and then back off effectively. Mm -hmm. So an, an interesting thing. Um, and, and just to sort of finish it off, uh, intimidation or persuasion, one of them you can pick as a skill. So a good blend of, of sort of charisma and, and strength-based attributes there all good stuff really and i guess because it does have a i think each of these um races have it and we've talked about it before this idea of the myth and mogus and stuff and obviously that that worry about like oh are they are they evil they've been said to be evil but as sort of evidence to prove that they were there before and they just happen to be under this influence and stuff but what i quite like it can't remember where, where it says it but because we've said this before um humans are the main main race in the thing but they're open-minded so when they see these other races they're not prone to fear or xenophobia they're just like oh it's one of these people they're very rare here so something special must be happening mm -hmm. it's not goes it doesn't go to fear and that's interesting written in this book and i just thought that was, that was actually quite a nice way of putting it that there isn't this culture of fear you have it in the back of your mind but actually it is a special occasion in a way to see one of these folks sort of coming into the city you think oh they must be here for a very important purpose so i quite like that yeah absolutely no i i, I love them they're, they're sort of really really good but bouncing from that sort of stoicism now to a race that is very much the opposite we are now looking at the satyr mm. who are fey goat people now satyrs have been in greek history for uh, forever and ever and are, are typically portrayed as drunken liars um, <laughs> that, that really like to you know have a party and, and a lot of that has sort of translated into the book but it, it's a little bit more nuanced than that they look like humans apart from goat horns and goat legs effectively mm -hmm. they like to jump they like to scamper and they have this thing called the art of the revel 
Yeah. Um, revelry is part of satyr life and it's also part of your sort of genetic makeup effectively. Everything about the world that is good is yours to enjoy by birthright because why would you not? It's three. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how the world is set up. And it's also part of your personality as well. Mm. So a good party, getting drunk and enjoying yourself is one aspect of that, but also enjoying the warm sun has given us a good example or the music of a bird that you hear or the artistry of a poem you enjoy. Just anything is there for you to enjoy it. And the satyr really do take the time to just embrace life and they don't take things too seriously. They don't take themselves too seriously. They don't look too deeply into things. Philosophy is kind of mm. unknown amongst them. There's deep troubling questions about why you're here and when you're going to die and what's <laughs> going to be threatening you. Just don't really bother them too much. It's just enjoying mm. the moment in the moment for what the moment is. Uh, and I, I quite like that. There's a very different sort of way of looking at things. Mm. I, When I read the uh, satyrs, I was like, I love it, but... Every fiber of my being goes, no, because you know that they, like you said, I love this idea that, oh, it's a party and they're really enjoying themselves. And in their head, it's like, well, I'm enjoying myself. Therefore, everyone else is enjoying themselves. That's not true. That's this is what happened at parties. <laughs> There's always someone, i.e. me, that has to clean up because yeah. everyone else is having fun. And so it is that sort of, it's well-meaning, right? Because obviously they're like, well, I'm having fun. So, and we're all having fun together, aren't we? What I love about it is this whole sort of, um, like you said, this is embracing of life and wanting to explore things. And I, I, that's my favorite bit. It's like you said, it's that taking delight in the small little things. So mm. like, it doesn't have to be the big drunken party per se, but like a beautiful river or, or a painting or something like that. And then you have, again, because D&D loves those tables, this sort of characteristics, these <laughs> eccentricities, which is mm-hmm. like, if I have something really important to say, I always sing it aloud. I'm like, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> you're one of yeah. those people. I just, yeah. I like the idea that someone in your party or even everyone wants to be a satyr in your party, you're like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the yep. bards. Oh, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they are the trouble race, really. They, if, if you've got a player that is likely to go off the rails, this is one of those cruxes they may use for it absolutely but it's it's not they're not they're described as odd rather than yeah troubled or annoying they're just they they have quirks because they enjoy those quirks not because they're being annoying or trying to be mischievous or wind people up it's just a very ridiculously Mm. positive stance on how life is and and what they do effectively so something to remember when when playing them you're new, there is no there is no inherent evil or mischief in what they do it's more just sort of an embracing of life there's a great line in it that says like people spend too much time worrying over what satyrs behave as what they do but like they just simply are as they are and i think that's such a a powerful thing in general it's like well why you know it's like well, what what is your purpose why why are you like this it's like i'm just like this don't worry about it. Why, why are you worried about it? It's none of your business. And I'm just like, oh, that, and that, that for me is what made it click. It's like, they are, you know, why would you question someone for being what they are? So yeah, that, that's for me what it sort of made it. I just, I just know that I'm, I'm never going to be a satyr, even though I think they're so fun and wonderful. It's just like, yeah, I, I, I would be on the opposite side going, but 
clean up after yourself, please. Yeah, yeah. And you see, I would be a Sota, and it's I know one, it's one thing that they have, which is just an amazing trait. But well, if we go through the sort of stuff, so they they get plus two charisma and plus one dex. Mm. So for the first time, we have a agile, charismatic race as opposed to a big, strong race. So. Mm-hmm. That's quite intriguing. Um, they love uh, sort of good, but they also sometimes are lawful, sometimes are chaotic, um, depending on whether or not they're just sort of enjoying civilization and the safety it brings, but also enjoying the independence of causing a slight dismay and just being themselves. It can go either way. Mm-hmm. They are relatively small, just shorter than six feet normally, slight builds. Uh, again, walking speed of 35 feet, so another race in this book that gives more than 30 feet of walking speed, which is interesting. And they count as Fae again. Mm-hmm. So another one that counts as Fae. Interesting. Keep an eye on your spells on that. They have rams that you can use, head and horns that can do unarmed strikes, which gives a strength-based attack, which is intriguing, seeing as they have dex as their yeah. ability. Mm-hmm. I was surprised they weren't um, finesse weapons um, for oh, the purposes of that but mm. they are not. They can take merthal leaps, which means that you can jump a bit further than normal. You get either persuasion or performance as a skill. Mm-hmm. And then you have the overlooked ability, which is magic Magical. resistance, yep. which is an incredibly useful skill. You have advantage on saving fairies yep. against spells and other magical effects. Now, sometimes as a racial ability, you get something that does like a spell. We'll see that on the next one, actually, mm. um, that we talk about that maybe doesn't hold up if you do take a character all the way through to level 15, level 16. It's it's there's only so useful this will be. And eventually you'll forget it. Not magic resistance. That will be useful throughout the game. It yep. is absolutely fantastic. And being able to have advantage on not just spells, but also other magical effects that's very useful very very useful yeah i guess because the other obviously the other race what we've covered so far that is phase obviously centaurs but they have a lot more in terms of they've got a bit more movement they obviously use their feet and they, they can charge and all that sort of thing the merfle leaps that's going to be a struggle for me because obviously you just you leap over big pits perhaps and stuff like that. it's not something i would say you could do in combat or it would be just a bit rolling a d8 and then adding it but it costs the same as normal i, I was a bit like Oh, that's yeah. I, I would instantly just strike that out. It'd be fun to do as a role play type thing, but not in combat. But yeah, magic resistance. I was like, of course, why wouldn't you use that? Because that is, like you said, it's the most important thing when you've got spells coming at you at all at all ends. I guess. I think you could use it to sort of stay out the way of combat. Really, you could jump mm. up on the top of bookcases or on the roofs of houses or trees. Yeah, um, trees. Yeah, just just scamper about and just get out of the way. Really, make it really difficult to be attacked. So, mm. I think it's one of those things. But if you try, it's a bit like the jump spell. Doesn't look very useful, but if you think about it and use it um, carefully, it can actually be quite interesting. Definitely yeah. something to to think about. Mm, definitely. Finally. Let's say that you want to play a fish person. Well, <laughs> yes. have I got a race for you? Oh, okay. This is the Triton race. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Tritons, I think, are in Volo's guide. And yes. we even have sort of mentioned them a couple of times. We have. Red. But they are based on elves. And the Tritons in Mythos are not. They mm. are very much just sort of aquatic think of sort of triton as a god and an atlanteans well not even atlanteans they're not really humans they are very much sort of aquatic fish creatures Mm. um still humanoid they can swim they have a very fluid concept of gender and identity which again is is sort of 
the, the sort of elven aspects of, of, of D&D kind of is sort of kept with that, but they're not elves no. is the most important difference. They're born in the sea, born of the water and are suited to it. Some will never see the surface ever and others are attracted to it because things like wind and sunlight and the feel of grass underfoot is just something they've never even experienced and they love it because it's different you know it's that gap year experience you've you grew up in britain but australia and the beaches and what you want it's that's sort of the, the yep. sort of mentality they often have but they do survive on land as well as sea so mm. whilst they have webbed digits that allow them to swim they also can stand on their feet and and climb and and hold weapons and they're not inhibited in any way effectively myself and sam robbins did look at vola's guide for this and they are so different again whilst obviously there's the traits are the same i would say to a certain extent in volos they talked about as almost like aquatic crusaders these haunty nobles that you know don't know much about the land above and so when they go there they're actually quite surprised that the dry folk don't know anything about their conquest or the you know so they've kept the waters safe but obviously, if you don't never go in the water, why would you know about it? So, they, mm. so I love that idea that you, certainly in Volos, it's like, well, have you not heard of us? We've done all this stuff. And so you, like they've got quirks like um, you phrase requests as orders that you expect to be obeyed, mm. and which I love that sort of thing. But it's completely different in uh, the Theros one. And they look so different as well, actually, looking at like, comparing the images. They definitely look more alien underwater thing. I, they definitely gives me sort of visions of like deep uh, fish, like that sort of like in the deepest sort of trenches and stuff. I just, yeah, it, it definitely looks alien is the word, but obviously in a, in a good way, it's so different and strange, almost like um, it's like when Doctor Who was good and they'd have aliens that look like aliens, not just humans in a, in a CGI yeah. suit, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, there is that sort of alien aspect to them. So whereas Volos, as you say, is more crusaders and, and really surprised the Tritons in this book, they do have an understanding of surface dwelling life, although albeit a little bit uh, entrenched and, and separate. Mm. Uh, a lot of, a lot of what they know comes from sunken wrecks and things that drift to the bottom of the sea and they go and explore what's been going on to go and have a look and see, mm. see what they can find effectively. But yeah, no, I, I do like them as an idea. They, they seem much more independent and, and not realistic, but they seem like they have a good community and a good place in the world as being these very capable warriors and raiders and a proud nation, but one that is willing to explore the surface world and are still intrigued by it as being very different from their own effectively there's a great line uh, where like it and it reminds me so much of like little mermaids so they'll find those things and they'll have hypothesis but when they meet a dry folk they're like oh, i'm gonna ask every question i can so again that they, they are intelligent creatures but they're not like in awe of stuff they're like oh so what what is this and you're like it's a fork but what do you use it for like what, what you know that sort of yeah and i just like that as a it's like when you go to somewhere else's culture or, or country and you're like I don't know the language and I don't know bits and pieces, but um, I'm just going to go with it and ask questions. And yeah. I, I think this is when you wouldn't find it as, as a dry folk, I guess, in quotation marks, you wouldn't find it offensive, like, oh, it's just a normal thing. But then trying to explain to someone who thinks it's like uh, like hypothesis about how it works, it's like, oh no, we just use it to open doors or something like that. And they're like, incredible. <laughs> I love it. That's almost, almost like a Thor S type thing where you're like, this is brilliant. Another, I want more, you know, that's sort of <laughs> on that side of it. 
yeah exactly no no it's it's really it's really cool very little mermaid in that way i'm just thinking mm. about the sort of yeah but triton they have a good range of abilities as well strength constitution and charisma all get plus one so very mm. well rounded in that respect live up to 200 years so actually have an extended lifespan um, they tend towards neutrality because they are distanced and more sort of whole-esque in the way they look at the world. Mm-hmm. They average about five feet tall, so they are a little shorter than humans, mm-hmm. but they also have a swim speed, which mm. is very, very useful if you do have an aquatic campaign, uh, amphibious, and natural spell casting, which I was talking about before. So mm. at the, um, they, they can cast fog cloud, um, they can cast gust of wind at third level, and they can cast Wall of Water at mm. fifth level, which effectively provides a, a sort of barrier effect. It's like a third level version of a Wall of Force with limitations exactly. come with it effectively. They use Charisma for all of those spells and they can do it once per long rest on each spell. So useful if you want to have a little bit of variety in your actions per turn effectively. Mm. Dark Vision, very useful. Always they good very much are Aquaman in the sense that they do have an extraordinary affinity with not only their people, but also fish and beasts of the sea where you can talk to them, but they can't talk back, which is, I just love that as a concept. You talk to the fish and they're just like, yes. And. Oh God, you're constantly talking at fish. And like, I just want to go about, I just want to go about my business, mate. Just please leave me alone. Like it's not therapy and swims away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just, I'm talking at you. This is, this is for me. This is me venting. I'm not. <laughs> You, you know, you don't need to get anything from this. But yeah, cold damage resistance as well as the last thing being uh, suited to the depths. Mm. Yeah, they are very interesting um, and very well-rounded. So whichever way you want to play a character, really, there's probably something in this for you. If you were going to play any character or wanted to feature them heavily in a campaign, which uh, which race out of these ones would you pick? Satyr, definitely. I, <laughs> no! <laughs> they're joyful. I like anything in D&D that brings an element of positivity. It's, it's, a lot of people are, are very willing to be quite like dark and broody, and I'm just like, nah, you got to have nice people. That adds a nice balance to things. But yeah, I just, no, I like the, the sort of way they look at life. It's it's quite cool. Yeah. I would love to see more about the, the Minotaurs, for sure. I think, I think there is something about this sort of like, slow to act slow to anger but actually like that's sort of almost intimidating presence but actually a good laugh once you get to know them i think well, i think a lot of people are like that i don't know if that says a lot about me yeah but brilliant oh no thank Absolutely. you so much ryan this is like it's so nice to go through this and finally that you've got this book so it's like oh look how pretty it is like that's, yeah, that's what, it what is I'm from that. gorgeous absolutely mm-hmm. women did we, we've already done a episode on sort of the pantheon and just looking at the pictures of all the gods was amazing and very intriguing so Ryan, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Anything you're up to? Any any YouTube stuff, I guess? <laughs> you can always come find me on YouTube. I'm Ursa Ryan. I have a Discord, the Ursa Ryan Discord. Come say hello. It's always good to see people and to chat about D&D nonsense. What about you, Fee? What are you up to? Is Are things going well, most importantly? Oh, you, uh, hey, hey, Ryan, guess what? Things are going well. <laughs> my, my name That's is good. Fiona. That's good. My name is Fiona and I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. I've done some edits recently. I'm currently in the middle of filming, or recording, sorry, uh, Field Guide to Memories, which essentially your mentor in the field of cryptozoology has gone missing and you have left with all her paperwork. 
<laughs> and it's been fun, but week three nice. was definitely very interesting. Basically, you you send out a call saying, has anyone got her research? And then everyone replies about how much they love this person because they've, they've been declared dead after missing for five years. And it turns out she had a lot of lovers and you have to go through her notes. And I'm like, I oh, I just want to... <laughs> I just want to find some research about this thing. I, uh, um, but yeah, so that's, that's what I'm recording. Just now. Wow. That is, I'm going to have to give that a listen. That's, that's I, oh, I don't know. It's, yeah. you just see me go, no, oh, uh, every time I read another HR <laughs> complaint. Um, the, the final thing to mention, because I always keep forgetting to mention it, but we do have a discount code for the DMs book club, um, third space gaming, your friendly local game store in Burnley. Uh, if you put in the, the code uh, DMBC at checkout, you get 10% off your first order there. And that can be on anything. So that could be, say, brand new D&D books, any RPG books, the little minis they've got. Say, Van Victon's Guide to Ravenloft that mm, I might have got yeah, recently. Yeah, I saw you got that. Yeah, that looks very good. Very good. It's I so much fun. read it that I really want to. Oh, soon. It's say in a year's time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how quickly you kill us off. <laughs> oh, not true, not true. Well, until next time, everyone, thank you so much for listening and we will speak to you in your ears at some point soon. Great. Yeah, see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>